Good morning, guys. My name is Wendy. I'm one of the pastors here at Everyday Church. It's great to be together this morning. So I, I want you guys to trust me a little bit here for a moment. We're going to do something a little bit different than we normally do. What I would like you to do is um, try to imagine something together with me. I want you try, to try to imagine what it would be like to be back in middle school. So you're 12 or 13. I know. Trust me, guys. Trust me. This will just, this is important. So imagine it's your first day of school and you're walking into the cafeteria and you don't know anybody. So this is a good place to kind of imagine that scene. If you kind of put your feet on the floor a little bit, you might notice it's a little sticky, right? A little residue of spilled chocolate milk is left here. Um, so it's, you know, we can kind of imagine what a uh, cafeteria looks like. But imagine you're walking into the cafeteria and you're so unsure about yourself, right? At that age, for sure. And you're looking, you're scanning around, and you're just looking for a friendly face, right? You're looking for that friendly face that you're like, oh, maybe I can sit by that person. Maybe there's space for me there. But as you do it, you, you realize you're, it's, it's taking a little bit longer, right? And you're starting to panic inside a little bit, and you think, I don't fit in here. Maybe it's because of the way you look or that you feel different. Maybe it's just what's in your lunchbox is different than everybody else's. Right? But there's this feeling like, I don't fit in here. I don't belong. And that kind of gets louder and louder in your head. All right. Enough of that. All right? Become present in a very safe place. <laughs> so as a mother of three and somebody that regularly works with kids, I know that the cafeteria really is a source of anxiety for school children. Will I have a place to sit where I can just have some type of peace? to sit and eat my meal during the day? Or will I feel like I'm left out, like I'm all alone? And I think for us as adults, um, we don't go to the cafeteria, but we still have spaces like that in our lives, whether it's at work or hanging out after work or even in our family sometimes. Um, many of you, can you kind of remember the first time you came to church or maybe this is your first time and you, you had those feelings too. Am I going to fit in? Will I be safe here with these people? Now, it's important for us to kind of feel this discomfort for a moment because this morning we're going to continue to look at the Gospel of John, where we see Jesus having all these various interactions with people from different backgrounds. So John, he spent, his, spent years following Jesus, and then later in his life, after Jesus' death and resurrection and he returns to heaven, John is a, an older man, and he decides to write this gospel so that people who do, don't know Jesus, who didn't have that privilege, that experience to share life with Jesus like he did, would be able to meet this man that John knew, that man that he loved and devoted the rest of his life to. And so as we read through John, we quickly meet this woman who is uncomfortable with herself. Um, she doesn't quite fit in with her people. And I imagine that she kind of goes through life constantly asking herself, am I safe with this person? And in that, she meets Jesus. So we're going to read together John chapter 4. If you have a Bible app that you want to follow on your phone, you're welcome to go to John chapter 4. So it says, Jesus left Judea and went back again to Galilee. 
Jesus had to go through Samaria, and he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. It was near the piece of land Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus was tired from the journey. And so he sat down by the well, and it was about noon. A woman from Samaria came to get some water, and Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? He said this because Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. So right here we have just a few clues that shows us that this woman doesn't really fit in. Um, and we soon figure out why, but she chooses to go to the well at the middle of the day. And this isn't when people went to the well, because it's the hottest time to go during the day. It would be customary to go you know, early morning, late afternoon. That's when all the other women would have gone to the well. But we see that this woman is kind of trying to hide. She's slipping in and out. Some of you can relate to that times in your life where you just kind of slip in and slip out, trying not to talk to anybody. But she does this, and she gets noticed. So we see that Jesus notices her, and she has this interaction that is shocking to her for many different reasons. First of all, she's a woman. And it's hard for us to even imagine uh, the patriarchal society of the first century. Women were very much second-class citizens at this time. Um, just to give you an example, one of the daily prayers that some Jewish men would pray, it's a prayer of thanksgiving. Um, they would pray, praise be to God that he has not created me a woman. So Jewish, Jewish men, um, they were taught to not even greet a woman, uh, let alone find themselves to be alone with a woman. And here we see that Jesus just talks to her. We also see that she's a different race than Jesus. She is a Samaritan. So who is a Samaritan? I'm going to show you a map because um, this is a little bit confusing. So if you kind of see, this is Judea, this is Samaria, and this is Galilee. So Jesus is in Judea. This is where Jerusalem is located. And he is from Galilee originally. So he's going back to Galilee. So he decides to go through Samaria. It looks like the best path to take. But sometimes people would go around Samaria because there's this conflict between Judean Jews and Samaritans. And that goes back to Old Testament history. Um, we talked about in this passage, you see that um, they both recognize that it's Jacob's well because there is a shared history between Samaritans and Judean Jews. So if you remember... Um, in the Old Testament, that eventually uh, we see that Jacob is, uh, his name changes to Israel. He has 12 sons, which become the 12 tribes of Israel. And they're one big nation, right? And then there's a civil war that happens 700 years before Jesus' time. And they're broken up into two different kingdoms. So the northern kingdom is made up of nine different tribes, um, and they become known as the kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom is where Jerusalem is still located. It's um, the kingdom of Judah, where the remaining three uh, tribes are 
are located. And over the years, the northern kingdom um, gets attacked. They get taken into exile. They get taken away um, to various different cultures. And so they start taking on those different personalities of the cultures they're at. They intermarry. They start to worship God in a new way because Jerusalem isn't there. The temple isn't there. And so we have this major uh, racial and religious divide between these people. The Judean Jews are like, you don't worship God the right way. And they they don't like each other. They will never um, really be around one another. And so it's shocking that Jesus chooses to even speak to this woman, let alone share a drinking jar with a woman and a Samaritan woman at that. And yet we see Jesus really chooses to cross the divide. So I'm going to um, continue reading the passage, verse 9. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? She said this because Jews don't have anything to do with Samaritans. And Jesus answered to her, you do not know what God's gift is. And you do not know who is asking you for a drink. If you did, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. So that Greek term that he uh, uses there is just... uh, for living water is just running water. What we would think of as um, you would have been given running water. But the woman is confused. She says, sir, you don't have anything to get water with. The well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Our father Jacob gave us this well. He drank from it himself, and so did his sons and his livestock. Are you more important than he is? She's saying, you know, our shared ancestor, are you more important than Jacob. And Jesus answers, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but anyone who drinks the water I give them will never be thirsty. In fact, the water I give them will become a spring of water in them. It will flow up into eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water, and then I will never be thirsty, and I won't have to keep coming here to get water. She's Not only is it a burden for her to get water, but it's an emotional burden for her to go to this place, always worrying that she will be seen. And we find out why. He says, go get your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you've had five husbands, and the man you live with now is not your husband. What you have said, just you just said, is very true. So first off, Jesus is speaking here figuratively about water. Like, we can get that. But in that moment, this woman has no idea what he's talking about. She just assumes, of course, that it's the literal meaning of water and thirst. And um, I think we do this as well, oftentimes when we're reading Scripture. Because if you read through Scripture, so much of it is figurative language. Even Jesus often speaks in figurative language. But sometimes it's easier to kind of look for this literal meaning. And so we get as confused as this woman does here. She's confused. Um, She doesn't see that Jesus is talking not about actual water, but about new life. This new life that he is offering her. And she's puzzled by it all. And in her confusion, Jesus brings up the last reason that the woman should have been excluded from this interaction with Jesus. And that is her moral reputation. Um, Most likely, it's the reason why she chooses to go during the day. 
to get her water because she doesn't want to run into other people who kind of know her story. And uh, she has had five husbands. We don't know. Some of them maybe have died, but most likely some of these have ended in divorce. Now, at this time, a man could legally divorce a woman for any reason. Any reason, they just give um, a writ of divorce. But a woman, she could not divorce her husband. And so um, we kind of saw this last week when we looked at the story that Alberto talked about, the woman who was caught in adultery, where in a patriarchal society, um, you know, both the man and the woman had played a part, and yet the woman kind of suffers the shame and uh, the, the consequences of the brokenness of the relationship. And so that is true for this woman. People know her, that she's been divorced, um, and so she carries shame because of that. Uh, we also know that a woman at this time didn't have the option to kind of provide for herself. She didn't have access to property or to inherit um, money. She, so she kind of was dependent on the provision of others, of maybe a male relative, or in this case, um, she is in living with another man who is providing for her. And so when you kind of think about her story, you kind of sense that she is always kind of yearning to belong, right? She goes from man to man, home to home, and she's always kind of thirsting to find a place where she can belong. And I think that this is part of the thirst that Jesus is talking about here. This new life that she is being offered is not one that, you know, she can simply just... Uh, feel like she can fit in, right? It's okay right now, but he's offering her something much bigger than that. Um, he's offering her this new life of continual belonging that she can always feel in her life. And so she says in verse 19, Sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Our people have always worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Remember that they worship dif differently. <clears throat> Same God, but worshiped differently. Jesus said, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will not worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know. Salvation comes from the Jews. He's talking about himself here, that salvation is coming through him, who is a Judean Jew. But a new time is coming, he says. In fact, it's already here, where true worship True worshipers will worship the Father and the Spirit and in truth. They are the kind of worshipers the Father is looking for. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in the Spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus says to her, the one you're talking about is the one speaking to you. I am he. So this Samaritan woman, she would have been aware of the promise of a Messiah. She was a descendant of Jacob. And so she also knew uh, what God's name was to her, her ancestors. And that is Yahweh, the great I am. That song that we sang, Gran Yo Soy, the great I am. That is Yahweh, the name that God gave to Moses you know, generations before, that is who you should know me as, the great I am. 
And so when Jesus chooses very deliberately to use that same phrase, she would have recognized its meaning. And we see him do that throughout the book of John. He's constantly saying, I am. I am the bread of life, right? Because he's saying, I was there in the beginning. If you remember how John begins, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. So that Jesus is there in the beginning. He is God. He is with God, and he is God. He is the I am. And so in this moment, things changed for this woman. She was once filled with the fear of rejection and judgment, and her life is changed. And I think so often when we read this story, I imagine it's a familiar story to many of us. Um, I think when we read the story, we, we want to see ourselves as Jesus, right? That we kind of move through life being this open, loving person that we see Jesus being here. Uh, but I think it's really important first today to try to see ourselves in this woman, to recognize that we also are people who fear rejection, who know what it means to be left out, and we fear we're going to lose that safety of home and belonging. Brene Brown is a professor. Um, she's a speaker, and she writes books, and she even has a Netflix special. So uh, she's, she's a big deal. But uh, she writes a lot about vulnerability and belonging, and um, she often talks about the difference between fitting in and belonging. And I think it's not a conversation that we um, often talk about, that, that difference. Uh, fitting in is doing whatever you need to do to be accepted in a space, right? As children, we kind of figure out, like, one of these things isn't like the other. How can I be, look like everybody else? How can I try to be like everybody else? And so you kind of like manipulate yourself and change yourself so that you can be accepted. But true belonging is being your authentic self and knowing no matter what happens, you still belong. This woman knew that she didn't fit in and she knew that she really couldn't change her past in order to be accepted. But Jesus offers her more than just fitting in. He offers her living water. He offers her a new life, a life of belonging. And the gospel, the good news, is not that we, we get to fit in, if only we change ourselves enough to fit in. The good news is that we are offered true belonging, that we don't have to pretend to be something we're not to be with Jesus, that Jesus is our safe person who provides that safe place of belonging for us. And I have always loved this story um, ever since I was a child. I think partly because it's a woman, and um, that was important for me. I saw myself in her, and I knew that it was a countercultural thing for him to do, to speak to this woman. In fact, you see when the disciples return, it says they're surprised to find him talking to a woman. And so I've always loved this scene. Um, but this week, as I was kind of studying through it again, I, I saw myself in the story a little bit differently. I saw myself as somebody who has always tried to fit in, settled to just fit in. And I think we all, there's many things in our lives where we settle for things, and God's saying, I'm giving you so much more than that. Don't settle for just fitting in. Settle for belonging. 
And it made me think about um, my grandfather, who um, I never got to meet because my, uh, he died when my mom was 16. But she used to tell me stories about him and her childhood, which was a rough childhood. But um, her mother left her father and um, her and her brother, who were both toddlers at the time, isn't very common for a mother to leave their children. And um, this is in the 50s, and uh, she just left. And she, uh, my mom was raised by her father. And uh, my grandfather was raised in church, and so he, that's what he wanted for his family, to be raised in church. Uh, but he felt like he wasn't welcome because he was a divorced man. And at that time, he was probably right. Um, it wasn't very common and he probably would have received some judgment. We've gotten over that issue a little bit in the church where divorce isn't something that keeps you out, but at that time he felt like it did. And so what he did is he, when my, when my mom and my uncle got to the age where they could go into church by themselves, she dropped them off, he dropped them off every week. And so they would go into church by themselves. And my mom would talk about it as this wonderful experience in her life. Right? She met Jesus. Um, there was a family that invited her in, and she sat with them every week, and she became a part of their family. And she, all, I was always raised hearing about the matinees and um, how they welcomed her and how she had a vision for this family that looked different than her own family. And she would tell us about, this is the family that we're going to stay together. We're going to be a family that is you know, together in the church. And I always was very thankful when I listened to that story. But today, um, this week, I, I thought about it a little differently, and I realized that my mom learned something else every time she was dropped off. And that was, there are some things that you aren't welcome here. There's some things that can be a part of your life that maybe you're not welcomed in this space. At least that's what her father taught her. And I wonder what that did to her. If she was always a little bit worried What's the thing in my life that I'm not welcome here? And I think about that, and I think, did she teach me some of that? Maybe not in words, but in actions, and have I passed that on to my own kids? And I thought about how I have always kind of tried to fit in and was willing to just kind of um, be okay with that, right? to pretend, to fit in enough. And so for me, what that was is being raised in church, I tried to be as perfect as I could, right? Keeping all the rules, being a good person, and it's exhausting work. If you, know, if you try that and you, you're just trying to be good enough to be accepted by people, you can never quite feel like you're good enough. And I realized this week that I needed to stop worrying about fitting in and remember that Jesus is offering me belonging that he never was offering me just the substitute of fitting in, that I have true belonging in Jesus, and I need to rest in that. So I'd like to look at the end of this story. Uh, John is the only one that kind of includes the ending of this story for us, and it's powerful. Um, looking in verse 39, it says, Many of the Samaritans from the town of Sychar believed in Jesus. They believed because of what the woman had said about him. She said, he told me everything I'd ever done. And then the Samaritans came to him and tried to get him to stay with them. And so he stayed two days. And because of what he said, many more people became believers. 
They said to this woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. We have now heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. There's so much in this ending of the story. It's amazing that this woman who was rejected by her own people, these same people, that when she meets Jesus, she goes to them and says, you need to know about this man. And that they listen to her. This woman with a past, and yet they hear her and listen to her, and they want to meet him. And it's shocking because a woman, even at this time, any woman, wouldn't have been um, able to be a witness in court. Uh, it certainly wasn't talking about religious matters at the time. You know, men were required to pray. Women were not at this time. Um, men were really encouraged to study scripture. It was extremely important for them. Women weren't even allowed to study scripture. And I, I found this quote from a rabbi at this time, um, Rabbi Eliezer, who said, rather should the word of the Torah, this is their sacred text, rather it be burned than entrusted to a woman. And yet, even though she is a woman, and a woman with a questionable past, Jesus entrusts her, her voice. And it is used, and it is heard, and many more come to meet Jesus. And then we see Jesus continue to spend time with these Samaritans, the guys who don't worship God the, the right way, and they find what they're searching for as well this acceptance and love and belonging. This woman didn't have everything in her life altogether. It isn't like she met Jesus and then everything in her life changed and so all of her, her circumstances changed and she fixed everything in her life. And she certainly didn't understand everything that Jesus is talking about. And yet, Jesus still trusts her with the good news that the Messiah has come. And I think that is really important for all of us to hear this morning. Because I know that for all of us, there are just those people, um, unfortunately, that make us feel like we don't fit in. And we really need the reminder that Jesus is the only one who gets to decide whether or not we belong. No one else gets to decide that. And you read through John, and it is clear. We all belong. And I think it's also important for us to see that um, sometimes we feel like we can't be used by God because, you know, of our past or we still have mistakes we make in our life. We're too different than everybody else. We're too young or too old or too quiet or too loud. And it's important for us to be reminded that those were the people that Jesus always used, the wrong people, the people that were least expected to be used. Those are the people that Jesus always used. So certainly he can use us to share the good news that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior of the world. Let's pray. Lord, I confess that I have settled to just fit in and feel like um, I have people, but people that maybe I don't quite feel safe with, and I haven't just rested in my true belonging in you. Lord, I pray for those people who um, have felt that as well, but maybe have felt like they don't belong, that you don't even offer them belonging. And I pray that you would speak to them, that they, it would be clear to them that you love them 
they belong, that you um, have a purpose and a plan and that you want to work in their lives. That they don't have to change right now in order to, to be safe with you, Lord. I pray that this place, this church, would be a place of belonging and not a place where we expect people to fit in. And we repent when we fail in that, Lord. We are broken people, and so we will fail. But we pray that you would work through us, that your spirit would work in us, and that this would be a place of belonging. We pray this in your name. Amen.